Bloody Elbow presents the MMA Vivisection, the show that gives you a comprehensive breakdown and expert analysis of all the fights happening on this weekend's UFC card. Here are your hosts, Zane Simon and Connor Rebush. Hey everybody, welcome back to the MMA Vivisection with me, Zane Simon, and my co-host, as always, Connor Rebush. We are here once again talking about this week's UFC card going down at the O2 Arena in London, England, where Leon Edwards, a champion so quiet that I actually continually forget that he is champion and not Kamaru Usman, uh, will be defending the title that he won from Kamaru Usman uh, in the main event with a co-main event of Justin Gagey versus Rafael Rafael Fiziev, a non-Brazilian Rafael. And uh, otherwise, a pretty solid, if unambitious, rest of the card. It's not UFC 285, but it's it's still you know we got a we got a solid pay per view main and co main, and that's that's at least you know the minimum requirement that needs to be met. That's right, Zane. I agree. I love it. We're getting we're getting Perth Connor today in protest because I called him long winded. <laughs> I could have perhaps said that he's not a Brazilian Rafael and also not a turtle. You know, two main categories of Rafael, but I didn't say that because I'm being terse, Connor. <laughs> <laughs> Why don't you unpack that a little bit? More? I didn't say that. You know. <laughs> Yeah, okay. Well, I'm 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 gonna be really really thrilled to hear about all the things that you didn't say. <laughs> all the chess analogies I'm not going to make. Yeah. <clears throat> every 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 uh breakdown will be like five words and then mm-hmm. another twenty minutes spent breaking down all the things that you didn't say but could have. <laughs> could have said it, you know. Yeah. You know, I could have talked about uh, anyway. Yeah, we it's it's an all right card. It it is for a pay per view. It has to be held to a little bit higher standard. At which point, you know, the the main the rest of the main card: Vittori Delizzi, Nelson Barbarena. These are all right fights. It's fine. Yeah. It's fine. Last week's card was an absolute banger, like yes. top to bottom, not only on paper but in practice. And yeah. So this one, as a pay per view, certainly feels like a bit of a step down. It certainly feels like a card that is meant to, um, to uh, to cater to the English audience more than it is to, uh, yeah, to put the best fights possible throughout the undercard. Yeah, and the under the the prelims are very notable for the amount of uh, relative newcomers yeah. all the way up and down that are just being yeah. slotted in. To compete. I will note, I think the whole thing would have been lifted if we still had a fight that we recently lost, which was Nathaniel Wood versus Lerone Murphy. Yeah. That's yeah. a very, very interesting prospect versus prospect kind of fight. Mm-hmm. But uh, we don't have that anymore. And, and the whole card is a little worse for it. Yeah. And, you know, no disrespect to Brian Barbarina. I'm sure he'll be fine here and all that. But D Rod, Gunnar Nelson. A little bit cooler fight. Absolutely. Anyway, let's go ahead and jump on this main event. Leon Edwards, Kamaru Usman. And, um, yeah, it's kind of a fascinating fight in that Kamaru Usman won about 75 
80 percent of the first one and then got absolutely cold cocked Mm -hmm. and yet can't help wondering just a little bit rewatching that if there isn't some something to the talk that like you know Uthman's knees are starting to affect his shot or his his wrestling oh uh, yeah could be i mean his wrestling wasn't really a weakness in the fight he no but he did get wrestled down and well yeah but not- i i think what that really was is him just sort of feeling like he has never been troubled True. in the clinch and just not i think the first outside trip clearly caught him by surprise yeah, and then there basically wasn't another clean Leon Edwards takedown for the rest of the fight. No, there wasn't. his and takedowns were often remarkably clean and easy looking. Yeah, so, I, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, so I far just, I have yet to see Usman's knees look like a real issue in the fight. He's not. He's not in Cain Velasquez territory. No, not know. even a little bit. It's one of those things where it's a narrative that I have dismissed entirely because. Um, gamblers talk about it yeah and that's often like an -hmm. easy way if you want like an x factor if you want to know whether an x factor narrative is worth talking about or not yeah like go to go to uh the the tout you know the tout central and be like okay what what are they basing their bet on here Mm-hmm. What are they basing their dog bet on here that they've put their 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 life their life savings and their mortgage on? Mm-hmm. And it'll be something like, oh, you know, we think that Kamar Usman it, it has bad knees and can't wrestle now. Yeah, I think it's oh. pretty. It's been pretty categorically proven he can wrestle still. So yeah, I yeah. I just, I am wondering, and maybe it's just a style thing with the breakaway from. Uh, hoofed over to Whitman. Yeah. Uh, like, he just seems a little bit less... Um, I don't even want to say... Pr- like, th- there's just... He's just doing less. It, he just did less stuff. Yeah, I, guess that's I think that thing. is very much a real thing. I think we've seen that in many recent Usman fights that he's... Uh, I mean, I, I think you could say he just feels more comfortable not having to pressure the whole time. Yeah, that um, could be. he just feels like he knows what to do in like a neutral kind of fight at range, mm-hmm. uh, which he obviously does know what to do better than he used to. I still don't necessarily think um, I-, I think that would be pretty crazy to look at the two fights they've had with Edwards and not be like, oh, we should just pressure this guy like hell the entire time. Yeah, clearly when, that is the way to win. Yeah. I mean, when 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 Leon Edwards was up against the cage at all. Not only was he getting beat relentlessly, but he looked miserable. Absolutely. He hated it. I mean, there was a reason, like, you know, John Anik, God bless him, got the chance to make a call of a lifetime in this fight. Mm -hmm. And the reason he got the chance to make that call is because Leon Edwards was looking so defeated Yep. That that was the only thing that the commentary booth had left to talk about by the time mm-hmm. the fifth round came around. Mm-hmm. It was just like, yeah, he's not making eye contact with his corner. Yeah, Dean Does, Thomas brought that up, which I thought, you know, yeah, is a, a, a 
honestly a very instructive thing to pay attention to even if you hadn't like sort of i think a thing you kind of intuitively notice even if you're not yeah. looking for it you're like this you just know this man does not look he looks ashamed and unconfident and unconfident yeah yeah and i think that trend is is honestly more meaningful than um i'm not disagreeing with you but earlier you said you know he was winning 75 80 percent of the fight uh, on review like there's a lot more competitive stuff in this fight yeah than it feels like um than it felt time like uzman doesn't pressure yeah then there's a lot of 50 50 exchanges yeah uh there are a lot of moments where edwards just get lands the better shots uzman has always been stiff walking through space. Correct, yeah. And that hasn't, like, even if his comfort with, like, oh, I know what to do and when to do it has improved, Yeah, that actually, that part has not improved. He is still a very stiff fighter moving through middle distances, and Edwards just would crack him every yep. time. Yeah, I, I mean, I think it's important to remember that um, if this fight had gone to decision, Usman would have won 48-47. Yeah. Right? Which doesn't sound like... But it, what, what really stood out was the trend of the fight, the arc. That mm -hmm. the longer it went on, and as long as Usman was pressuring Edwards, as you said, he was just just visibly miserable. He hated yeah. it. He was breaking. Um, you know, he, he was frustrated and... He would just like high guard and get pumped, like ripped to the body and just kind of, you know, then Usman would shoot behind it and Edwards would just sag on him and just yep. be like, oh, God. Yeah, I mean, there's there's one part of the fight, too, where Edwards is, um, I think it's maybe in the third round, where Usman looks to like faint a level change. He, mm -hmm. he like faints a snatch single like uh, John Jones likes to do. Mm hmm just reaches for the legs and yeah. then he gets his hands on the leg and he's like, Oh, it's there. <laughs> yeah. Like he it doesn't even look like he's intending to hit a takedown, but Leon is just sort of covering up, waiting to see what happens as he does. Mm -hmm. And this like, Oh, I can actually complete this takedown. I wasn't even going for. And then he just sucks his hips in and blasts him off his feet. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that, that I think is the thing is uh, Usman would truly be crazy not to, go back to some of his old ways, the game plan should be pressure. Yeah. I don't know that the Whitman camp is, uh, you know, they are, he's a good tactical trainer. I don't know that he necessarily equips his fighters with great game plans all the time. I don't think I've ever seen a Whitman fighter like, right. With it's the, sort of like fact, they just go in there and they're, and they're supposed to be good, you know, like yeah. which I appreciate They he makes fighters technically better and more comfortable and more flexible yeah. Which is a good thing to have, like the ability to adjust and sort of cope with whatever happens. What, but what, what if Greg Jackson actually gave like technically sound advice as well as emotionally sound advice? Yeah. What you're describing is the wonderful team of Sarah Longo. Mm hmm. Right. Who've been killing it lately. Yeah. Phil, Phil and I were talking about this. The, the funniest thing about the Sarah Longo dynamic being such great stra strategic coaches is that they immediately give the lie to all the hokum side of Greg Jackson's personality. 
Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, he's this strategic brilliance. He's listening to Mozart and talking about Zen. And, yeah, yeah, and then you just yeah. have these just screaming, like, hoagie-eating Long Islanders. Yeah, this meatball just... sub-stuffing little Italian man. They're just, just as good. Screaming at, at his fighter to, yeah. like murder that bastard yeah but they are extremely good at game planning for their fighters and they're just yeah just sweating and shouting the whole time (laughs) um so yeah i think like if if this is the same usman the the chance for edwards to win will be essentially the same which is like slim but obviously not impossible that stiff Um, middle distance movement we have seen usman over pretty much every fight he's Mm -hmm. had other than Masvidal in the last uh, yeah. half decade, I don't know, uh, up from Colby Covington on, the Colby yeah. to, he's gotten hurt once in every fight where he's just walking through that middle distance, mm-hmm. very stiff, yep. very upright, even with his chin tucked, very tall. And he just gets clubbed yep. by one shot, and it rattles him, and he has to pick himself up afterward. Yeah, and I and I think it's it's also worth keeping in mind that um, I, I think the possibility of getting more of that kind of fight is more up to Edwards than maybe we supposed at first, because. Uh, this is something that um, Ryan Wagner pointed out, which which I think is an interesting point that really Usman didn't insist on pressuring Edwards a lot in that fight. It was more that Edwards is pathologically pressurable. Yeah. He's so passive and so willing to give ground and he retreats in straight lines so often and he puts himself against the cage. It's like Usman fighting Jorge Masvidal. Like, yeah, you just stay there and hold your ground. And the guy's going to back up at some point and and eventually he's going to run into the wall. Mm -hmm. And what happened in the fifth round is that, you know, the legendary uh, hype fest that his cornerman gave him, Edwards did come out like with desperate determination. He was, uh, which is still kind of funny that like you've seen fighters in desperate situations going for it. Yeah. I think, I think of like, um, of, um, uh, Leomana Martinez, in the third round of his fight with uh, Ronnie Lawrence, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that was a fighter going for it. Like, yeah, you know what? I've been hurt every time anyway. I may as well get hurt trying to kill this dude. Yeah. Uh, and Leon Edwards' version of that was still very, like, measured and slow-paced. <laughs> yeah. Still yeah. a lot of just one shot at a time. But you could see there was a change in his body language. He was standing his ground. Mm-hmm. He was not willingly just giving up space. And he was doing more fainting, a lot more just creating threats. And because of that, the round sort of has the feeling of Usman kind of taking his foot off the gas. Yeah. And I think it's largely because Edwards didn't just like Usman didn't insist on pressuring. Edwards invited him to pressure. And yeah. When he stopped inviting him, Usman stopped pressuring. And suddenly that became the second round of the fight that Edwards was winning even without the head kick. Mm-hmm. Um. And I think part of it is that Usman just kind of thought with good reason he could afford to just kind of bide his time. He was clearly winning, but it was a mistake that uh, he should not repeat. He should insist on pressuring Edwards 
both fighters standing their ground, Edwards is still likely going to be the one to, to back up. Yeah. And Edwards the is still a fighter who... It's pathological. It's, yeah, he's never... It, it's worth noting, like, you know, he's had several five-round fights now, yeah. and he's won several five-round fights now. Yeah. He has still never broken... 100 significant strikes landed in any fight. Yeah, and he's never broken an opponent. No. Um, yeah. <laughs> he doesn't he just doesn't do that. He is the reason there's the feeling of him always sort of fighting down or up to the level of his competition because he always just sort of strives to do just enough to be comfortable. Yeah, I mean, Usman has had three round fights where he's almost he's almost broken a hundred significant strikes landed. He's done it in five yeah. round fights four times. Yeah, and a lot of those fights involve a lot of wrestling too, which makes it even mm-hmm. more impressive. But these are still fights where he's wrestling and grappling, and he's still putting up those kinds of striking numbers. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I think um, like theoretically, the adjustment for Edwards to make to increase his chances of landing those kinds of shots is, is really quite small, Mm -hmm. but practically I think it's huge and possibly, uh, possibly impossible. If that's an expression that makes sense, because uh, even with that fifth round and that huge, you know, rallying effort he gave, not only was it not the rally you would see from other fighters who are just more comfortable accepting a firefight, it was still, it still slots into the kind of fight Leon Edwards always has, which yeah. is in spots. Yeah. Even those couple minutes in the fifth round where he was going for it, it's still, it's not, it has never been a sustainable way of fighting for Leon Edwards. And this no. is the problem is that it's strategically a small adjustment, but psychologically, it's a huge change to make. It's like asking Tyron Woodley to come forward. Like, mm-hmm. It's just very difficult for him to do that in any kind of sustained way, which is why I think the small adjustment Usman can make is much more practical. Yeah, it's also one we've seen Usman exactly. do several times. It's Usman just, may have gotten away from pressure. He may have learned that he doesn't need to pressure everyone all the time, but he has done it comfortably before, and he knows it's the way to win this fight. Yeah. Um. So, you know, based on what we've seen, like Trevor Whitman's fighters, much as I respect the guy as a striking coach, they've all kind of lost a little of their innate aggression together. I I am. We're going to talk about this next in the next fight coming up here. Yeah, absolutely. Justin Gaethje and Rose Namajunas as well. Like we have seen some recent performances from these all these fighters that are far too passive. Yeah, it's it is becoming. It is something that I, yeah, that I am noticing more and more when I watch Whitman fighters. It's like, yep, you know, you are, he's a good coach. He's definitely, you know, he teaches good, solid technique, but mm-hmm. it is, it is so notable. And I don't care how much Whitman ple- was pleading with her in the corner. I don't care. It is so notable how in that fight with Carla Esparza, the second one, yep. Rose Namajunas' big vision of success was not getting hurt by yeah. Carla Esparza. Yes. 
like it's just strategically exactly the wrong attitude to have, especially in a fight like that. But yeah. And like where that has to come from somewhere that can't just be all Rose Nama Yunus, a girl who used or a woman who used to fight like, you know, she was BJ Penn in his prime. Yeah. Yeah, A maniac. Absolutely. And you don't have to be a maniac. You can, but to be a more technical, aggressive fighter, you know, and Justin Gaethje let Charles Oliveira pressure him. Like, yeah. Even though he proved very quickly that he could hurt Charles Oliveira, he did not back him down. Yeah, no, that's and that's or, not the fight to take against Chucky Olives. It's just to let no. him come forward and build on you. Yeah. Um. So yeah, yeah this is why we like Henry Hooft more than Trevor Whitman. Like it is. Hooft is. They both teach great striking mechanics. Hooft is far less creative. And yeah. far more the the process to becoming a good fighter under Hooft Hooft has, is far longer, I would say. Yeah, but Hooft has a little more like Mark Henry in him. Like he's yeah. like, you throw this number of strikes to win a round. Oh yeah, no. You take I mean, the targets that are available to you. Like Hooft understands how to win rounds. Yeah, and, and how to how to build towards a decision, even if you're not knocking someone out. And that is something I think. Uh, Whitman does not has not always demonstrated in through his fighters. He is very clearly training people. Here is how you win a fight. I am exactly. teaching you to win fights. Trevor Whitman yes. is very much in the here's how to have a beautiful performance. I'm going to teach you right. how to perform beautifully. Yeah, which I appreciate both. But yeah. Um but, so so yeah, I think it's it's a small and much more a practicable adjustment for Usman to make. It's one that I have less confidence in him making than I have at basically any other point, just given all these Whitman fighters and Usman's own recent performances. Yeah. But I also think that fundamentally, I just cannot trust Leon Edwards to hold on to an initiative at all. Yeah. And another big strategic problem is that if he doesn't, if he doesn't come in here and somehow for the first time ever, just hold the center of the cage as much as possible. Like that's all it would take. Yeah. Just like, don't retreat even, you know, keep your guard up, whatever, give up some takedowns and open space, whatever. But like, just don't put your back against the fence and it will be a much harder fight for Usman. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the problem is, is that if he can't do that thing, he's never done before, then his footwork isn't good enough to, to fight evasively against a guy like Usman. Usman's a solid pressure fighter, even if he needs to be invited these days to do it. He knows how to cut off the cage. Um, He has enough of a switch-up threat to keep you guessing. And the big problem for Leon Edwards is that his evasive footwork just isn't very good. He, He, you know, understands how to keep distance and how to manage distance, but that's really it. And, And what it comes down to is that in almost every fight, Leon Edwards will back himself into the fence to an extent that he can no longer, he couldn't do a a good pivot if the idea even occurred to him. The only lateral movement available in that position is like loping sidesteps because like in a boxing ring, your, your foot can go outside the ropes. You have a lot more room for your feet to maneuver. Even when you are cornered in the octagon, the corners may be more obtuse, but getting trapped in them completely your stance collapses because there's a yeah. wall behind your yeah. heels. Um, and when he gets into that position, the way that Leon Edwards deals with that against everyone is the clinch. Mm-hmm. A lot of the clinches in that, in the second fight with Usman were engaged by Leon. Yeah. 
because that's, you know, he's a good clinch fighter and Usman is basically the only guy that he can't beat in the clinch. So against everyone else, like that's a reliable way to get off the fence or to, to kill somebody's pressure and their ability to swarm you is that once you feel yourself cornered, you initiate the clinch first and then you yeah. beat them there or you turn them and you use that to escape. And that's just yeah. not a good avenue to escape the fence against Usman. It, it, it is also worth noting, too, that when Edwards is really when he is holding ground, when when an opponent is more willing to back up than he is. Yeah. Because he's had those fights. He's had fights where he gets to work out in open space, where he gets to pressure, where he gets to be the dominant force. He, his, his game always leads to his wrestling mm-hmm. as well. Like, yeah. He, 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 there are a few times where he's had a purely static kickboxing match, but a lot of times, Edwards, if he's out there just like getting to kickbox and getting to come forward, he will just push himself into a takedown. Yeah. Because that's, you know, that's what he's been trained to do. Yeah. And it is very much for him a, a psychological safety valve. Yeah. That's the case for a lot of fighters who use the clinch just to like get a break and reset mentally mm-hmm. from just having to cope with all the chaos of a never ending exchange. Yeah. Um, but for Edwards, more than most of them, it's like he has to wrestle or he's not going to be comfortable. Yeah. Because uh, otherwise it's just it just feels to him like anything could happen at any moment. And that's too much to handle for more than a spurt at a time, which is why yeah. he fights in bursts and short bursts. So, yeah, it's it, obviously it's possible for him to win. Mm-hmm. It's possible Usman lets him win. But I think uh, that was kind of the case the first time. I don't think Usman had to give Edwards that chance in the fifth round as slim as it seemed at the time. Yeah. And if Usman comes in and just commits to pressuring, I don't see how Edwards escapes that fight. Yeah. So I have to pick Usman. All right. Odds on the fight. Usman opened at minus 350, is currently at minus 246. Edwards opened at minus 280, plus 285, is currently at plus 199. So odds are definitely staying close, um, but Usman's still a clear favorite. All right, that brings us to a lightweight bout. Justin Gagey, Rafael, Fiziev, and... Uh, yeah, this is this is a tough fight to pick. Um, I just love that Fiziev is is getting to crack into the top, yeah top five of this division. Finally, some like I love the the the, the five violence kings or whatever. But like, mm-hmm. we need some movement in divisions like this. And Fiziev has clearly been waiting at the door for too long already. Yeah, I, I will say Fiziev does prove one of the things that I have said and will continue to say and should be noted fighters, the 500,000 fighters that listen to this podcast regularly. (laughs) I I was going to say five and I realized, wow, that's really generous. Like that's actually a very slim uh, portion of our audience. Only 500,000 fighters. I know. I know we're we're the one we're the one championship. They're like, uh, they're like, they're like 2% of our audience. Yeah. Wow. Um, Anyway, but fighters want to have cool fights 
even if they're fights that they're going to lose. Yeah, a lot of fighters anyway. A lot of fighters. Their driving motivation of what kind of fight they want to take mm-hmm. is, is this going to be a cool fight that that seems cool? And a lot of, you know, a lot of the guys that get shut out of rising up the division and nobody wants to fight them are just the really can, you know, they're, they're really good, but they're really controlling and no fighter wants to have a fight where they just got controlled and didn't get to do anything. And it sucked. Even if they win, even if you get like, Oh, you took me down five times and didn't do anything with it. And I hit you with harder shots in every round. And the judges gave me that fight. Yeah. There are fights that fighters don't want to take. It doesn't look cool. And it's not, it's not fun to do either. It's yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a challenge that isn't like the effort of meeting the challenge is not, is neither entertaining nor exciting for the fighter themselves. Yeah. Like guys like Fiziev and Michael Chandler, are incredibly dangerous fighters for anybody to take, but you don't see guys at the top of the division being like, nah, I'm not going to fight, you know, not going to fight Michael Chandler, even though he's only, you know, even though he's one in three in the division or whatever. I'm like, oh, yeah, sure. I'll fight him. That'd be awesome. Because it's going to be stupid, you know? Right. Uh, anyway, that 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 is a note of, like, why, you know, it's weird too how fighters get re- reputations around that too, though. Like, you know, um, Benil Dariush, yeah, like can't get can't get a, a big top fight because he's he used to be known as like a very you know. I mean, I don't know if that's entirely it either. I mean, some of it is just this is yeah. like the the best fighters can do in terms of career management is like yeah, they just. Don't want to. Why take somebody who's like a, a an up and comer when you are like already sitting on you know a very durable ranking spot? Yeah, and you could just fight the other few top five guys. What I'm saying you... is, I'm not surprised Fiziev broke into that much more quickly than Dariush or than you know than Sarukin certainly. Sarukin, yeah, it makes more sense. Dariush is fun as hell. Like Dariush is fun as hell. Uh, <laughs> his fights are mostly bangers or insane scramble fests. So yeah, I, like I said, I think he might. There, there might be some long term. There might be another issue. Maybe, with yeah. But Fiziev certainly, yeah. Like if you're Justin Gaethje and you do just want to have fun fights, still, it took these guys a while to to accept him. Like Gaethje's been in a bit of a slump. So now he's fighting physique. Yeah. Yeah. Cause he definitely always brings it and is an action forward yeah. fighter. So, yeah. Um, this fight's fascinating. Cause as we were just talking about with Trevor Whitman fighters, um, he's been getting them to take the, their foot off the gas. And you would not think that that is the case with Justin Gagey because his fights, like, you know, the fight with uh, Charles Oliveira, he still dropped Charles Oliveira twice in three minutes. Yeah. And that fight with Michael Chandler was an absolute, like, yeah. you know, shit-kicking, brutal war for three minutes, or for three rounds. So this idea of like, Oh, G- Gagey taking his foot off the gas. What are you talking about? But if you go watch those, cause this is what struck me 
without even thinking of the Whitman thing, this just struck me watching him was that like he's not coming forward anymore. Yep. He is planting his feet and waiting for people to walk on to him and then he reacts. And it's not even like he's a counter fighter. Well, As, I mean, there he is, but it, he has become much, much more of a counterpuncher. He, he's become much more of a counterpuncher and counterfighter. But it's, you know, it, 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 I would say it's even it's less the like, oh, you've thrown something and I am going to be here to counter you. That happens. But it, so much of it just is like proximity that you create. Like, oh, yeah. you have stepped into my range. I will throw something now. But I am not going to step into range. It's all you coming in. Yeah, it's kind of thing that like, even if Tyron Woodley had just made that adjustment like five years, eight years ago, he probably wouldn't have had the insane slump he had. Yeah, you know, just be like, oh, whenever you are in range of me, I will throw something. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's not, you know, it's not terrible, but it is, I would even say Gaethje's surprisingly good at it. Yeah. It's just that, um, yeah, like with, uh, Rose and Usman, like he seems to have difficulty now, like breaking out of it when he needs to, Yeah, because and this it, looks like a fight, right? Where like, if he pressures Fazeev, that would be a much better approach. And it's interesting to see like. Uh, yeah, the Chandler fight, the thing that struck me about that is, you know, you hear Gagey talk about that fight in retrospect, and he was like, oh, yeah, that wasn't, like, I didn't think that was that interesting, and I didn't think it was that competitive, basically. Mm-hmm. He kind of is, has been very dismissive of it. it One fight of the year, and he's kind of like, eh. <laughs> but... And it's like, yeah, okay, I get that when Chandler leads, you pretty much know what Chandler's going to do. That's probably what it is mm-hmm. for Gagey in his in his mind. He's just like, yeah, okay, Chandler is going to he's going to step in with some big wide hooks, and I was just going to sit there and kick him or punch mm-hmm. him as he walked in. But the the effect of letting Chandler lead walk in all the time and create his own opportunities for offense. Yeah. It made it a thriller because it, it meant Gagey got hit a lot. Even yeah. when, even when he was picking Chandler off well and making the right decisions, I know Gagey's always gotten hit a lot. Yeah. But Chandler on his back foot is a major liability for Michael yeah. Chandler. He it also t- made for a, a much more sustainable Michael yeah. Chandler performance than we've seen in basically any other recent fight where when somebody feels him running out of that first burst of energy, they put their foot on the gas and he crumbles. Yeah. And this is a Chandler where he got hurt. He got, you know, he, he took big shots. He went through hell. Yeah. And then he got to recover and he was right there and he was still landing big shots. You allowed Michael fight. Chandler to make round three adjustments. Yeah. I think that should be a warning sign if you're just yeah. Gaethje and his coaches. It really should be. And I mean, the, the thing with this physio fight, 
is Fiziev has still really never fought somebody like Justin Cagey. No. The closest he's ever come would be like Magomed Mustafaev. Yeah, I guess. Frankly, just when you're talking about like a top elite level athlete who can attack dynamically with power. Uh, Brad Riddell would be the other. Um, but Riddell is sort of his own animal. Mm-hmm. And, Even way more of a counterpuncher than current Justin Gaethje. Yeah, Riddell is truly a born and bred counterpuncher who yeah. walks and forces counter exchanges by walking forward. Yeah, to the extent that, to your point, like Gaethje, I think definitely has become. A, I still consider it counterpunching, even if you're triggering on range. Like you're letting the opponent engage and then punishing them. Yeah. Um, but. The big difference between Riddell and Gaethje is like Riddell isn't ready to meet those engagements for the entirety of the first of the first round. That's yeah. how much of a counterpuncher he is. He's in there calculating and reading and picking up on your patterns. And Justin Gaethje's like, "Don't come near me." Yeah, <laughs> from the from the jump, he is ready to counter you. Yeah, and Riddell, you know, he's a pressure counterpuncher too. He he's somebody who. He's not. He's he's making his reads and his adjustments and all that, but he's also just trying to. He he. he all of his round, first rounds of disasters because he's walking forward, being like, "Okay, well, I got to initiate something so I have something to read." Is he a pressure counterpart? I don't really see Rizal that way. I mean, he is early. Whether he whether it's good for him or not, he's mm-hmm. walking on to people to try to create exchanges to counter, and then getting hurt and trying to wrestle. The main point is he doesn't bear a lot of resemblance to the style of Justin Gage. No, no. Yeah. Or to his attributes. No. And Shaziev is, he's very much a kick first range fighter. Yep. Which is why it would be an especially bad idea not to pressure him. Yeah. Which is especially why it'd be a bad idea not to pressure him. A very fast and powerful kicker as well. Mm-hmm. Even if, even if, uh, as as Phil pointed out, he's his his kicking style is very different from Gaethje's. Gaethje focuses on landing with the shin so much that half the time he kicks your legs with his knee. Like, yeah, yeah, he is swinging the bat at you. Fiziev is happy to to smack you with a lightning quick mm-hmm. quick instep kick, but he kicks so quickly um, and puts so much into it that it will still absolutely wreck you. Yeah, and. Uh, yeah, Fiziev, like, he, he can be, you know, he can be drained by a prolonged battle in the past, like, and not even just, like, physically drained, but I think probably, I think mentally just get kind of tired. Yeah. You know? It was a good sign that we finally got to see against RDA, him in a, a tough fight against a guy with phenomenal stamina that he did hit that point. As RDA uh-huh. started to get into the fight, but he held it together well and found a second wind. Um, but it's it, it still fits into a pattern that we've seen in the Bobby Green fight, the Mark Jacquesi fight. Yeah. I think there's another one in there somewhere, too, where he definitely, by round three... I think the uh, Alex White fight, maybe even that was a fight he was really just yeah. sort of coasting through. Yeah. It was a point where it's just like, White is, like, why is White still in this, even? Right. Yeah, he definitely, he wears himself out. He's a 
very intense fighter. He puts a lot of energy and fights at a super fast pace. And as you said, puts himself into mentally taxing positions where he's constantly having to um, to invite and then respond to the opponent's offense. So yeah. in many and, ways, it is an energy-sapping style he has. And that's where the worry of like he hasn't fought somebody like Gagey comes in. Yeah. Gagey is incapable of being mentally taxed. Yeah. There is, there are, you know, there's, there's nothing in the drawer to cash. Like, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, you're shaking down the wrong, the the wrong dude. If you're, you're trying to like get protection money out of Justin Gagey. Yeah. Which is why I think it's, I I look at this fight and I think I expect Fazeev to win early. Yeah. Uh, I expect him to, to do a lot of work. I think there's a possibility that he even exhausts Gaethje. Mm-hmm. Gaethje's not certainly not immune to getting physically exhausted. No, he's not. Yeah. Um, but that if he does, he he runs the risk of having a round three against Justin Gaethje, who's too tired to remember how to counterpunch. Yeah. And just goes on instinct. And the Justin Gaethje instinct is just blood and guts. Like, mm-hmm. it is just war. And and just uh collisions um and that's something we've never seen fiziev up against i think um i think fiziev would be very very wise to put he already does this well but to put even more stock than usual into body work mm-hmm. i think the fight to learn from especially as an instructive three-rounder would be gaichi's fight with eddie alvarez yeah here is somebody who didn't have to just insist on having pocket exchanges the whole time um, and Eddie Alvarez did two two things really, really well that won him that fight. One, most important, I think, was just ripping to the body at every opportunity. Yeah. Just making sure that Gaethje's own insane overswinging and everything is going to contribute to him gassing faster than he would like to. Mm-hmm. And then second is that Eddie Alvarez did a great job of sticking Justin Gaethje and drawing counters out of him. Because even the older Gaethje had that trigger counter puncher instinct. Yeah. Even when he was brawling, like you throw at him, he's going to block it and catch and pitch kind of counters and swing a meat hook back at you. And, um, but you know, Eddie Alvarez, Dustin Poirier, a lot of people have had success drawing that first counter out of Gaethje and either taking an angle or getting just slightly out of range and then just piling back in with a combination. Yeah. You Uh, know, Gaethje just hunches over and covers up. And that is something I'm very confident Fazeev can do. Yeah, you know, when I think about it, I was already kind of leaning this way, but I think I am going to pick Fazeev here. Yeah, me too. Um, the, a, the increasing unwillingness to pressure from Gaethje mm-hmm. is a major concern. Yep. And the other thing is, is that, like, you know, when, when Gaethje has faced tight, consistent technical strikers who are not also easily breakable yep you're dustin poirier you're eddie alvarez yep technical strikers who are down to slug it out if needed yeah who are down to slug it out he has never been able like you keep expecting him to to find that moment where he's gonna turn the tide Mm -hmm. i remember this distinctly from the poirier fight because poirier is a fighter who is very like with at that point, we still thought Poirier might be breakable, you know. Yeah, 
in in that way he was against Conor McGregor. And Poirier would eat some big shots, and I'd keep being like, oh, this is the moment where Gagey's going to start turning it on, start whatever. But then Poirier would just go right back to, like, exiting the pocket with combinations. Yep. And Gagey could never adjust to that. Gagey is not an adjusting fighter. No. Which I think is one of the major problems with his new approach. Yeah. He's he's pretty good at it. Again, like, Mm -hmm. his footwork isn't bad. Um, and he, I mean, there is no position that you can walk into right. that he will not hurt you in. His footwork is bad. His, his defense has gotten better, and he's gotten yeah. better at, at firing off of it, not just the catch and pitch, but slipping and rolling under yeah. shots and coming back. Yeah. yeah. Um, putting together better combinations than he used to uh, as those counters. Like, all of these are great improvements, uh, sort of new wrinkles that make him a surprisingly good back foot counter puncher, but he, he has never been a fighter who can adjust in a subtle yeah. way. Yeah. And what the, the comparison I made uh, already this week, which I'll make again, cause I think it's funny. We, we talk about fighters becoming technical. Yeah. Justin Gaethje. It's like he has become a technical yeah. as in a pickup truck with a big gun strapped to it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Except instead of like a machine gun, it's like a tank cannon. Yeah, yeah. And so you you have this this little zippy vehicle that drives around and it gets itself in position and then it fires and it flips itself over. Yeah, <laughs> this is why like Gaethje gets into these fights where somebody is like, oh, he's going to counter me, and they just don't stop pressuring, mm-hmm. and he gets himself into trouble because he's yeah. like, all he has is Justin Gaethje punches. Yeah, and when, at the end of the day. If you're Tony Ferguson and you get cowed and you're not sure, you're still pressuring, but you're not really sure how to break through or how to, you don't have the defense to not eat the first counter, then it's going to work. But Mm -hmm. even a a, a fighter as defensively uh, lapsing as as Charles Oliveira was able to see those counters coming eventually and pull them, draw out of the way, and then come right back in. And it has it has sort of made Gaethje a bit like Alexander Hernandez. Yeah. So like, you can pressure him, you can draw out the shot, and then he's either going to be stumbling off balance from his own when he misses, or he's going to, like, curl over and shell up because he's not sure what's happening next. Um, yeah. He doesn't have those little connecting bits that would make a truly, like, comprehensive counterpuncher's game. That's yeah. why he's not Brad Riddell. Yeah. He can't like fix his position, keep you at bay, get back and, and make you come into ca- to, to his counters again and again. It's like uh, you look at that Khabib fight and it's like the, the man is on uh, goddamn ice skates. Like, yeah, he's just like flying around <laughs> because there's just not enough time to like get the exact right range on these counters. And he does not have the tools to like and he can't not throw with full power. So he's just yeah. like flinging himself off balance because there's so many counter opportunities being thrown at him. And yeah, he can't pick and choose. He can't modulate his power. It's there's, he's still Justin Gaethje. He's just Justin Gaethje strapped to, you know, a four by four instead of some tank treads that he used yeah. to. He's yeah. not as stable or reliable because of that. So, uh, yeah, I'm I'm taking Fazeev as well. I, I think Fazeev is a smart enough fighter to put a lot of body work in. Even if he just does his normal amount, it will take its toll. It works well for him that this is a three-round fight, I think. Yep. 
And I don't think Justin Gaethje is going to test him as much as he should be able to. And Fazeev, given the initiative, is a very tricky and flexible and creative striker. Yeah, the, the he man really throws is. Great combinations. He's really, really uh, defensively responsible when he's attacking. And he's really uses his defense aggressively, which I think is the other really big thing. He can engage, slip, and come right back while Justin Gaethje is still reeling or covering up. Yeah, this might be this might be a real announcement fight for Fiziev as a uh, contender I, I so. in the division. Yeah. yeah. And uh, man, he did get well, knocked that, out by Mustafayev. I mean, that's, he did. You know, that's that is the thing. Is that, he's going to be in the pocket? You know, making yeah. Gaethje throw at him. That that's Fiziev's effective range. As good as he is at kicking, the man likes to get in middle distance. So yeah, it's going to test his defense and his chin. Like Gagey, there is still no safe way to be near Justin Gagey. Exactly. It's going to test both his defense and his durability for sure. Yeah. Absolutely. I'm just, I feel like this is the right time for Fiziev to get this fight. Yeah. And I think barring an early knockout, it looks like a good matchup for him. Yeah. that That's how it feels for me as well. Uh, he can't fade either, though, because if he does fade, then Gagey will hurt him a lot worse than Bobby Green could. Even third round, you know, back foot Justin Gagey. It is a it is a point where it just feels like maybe Gagey is he's pigeonholing himself a little. To I mean I, that that was the thought I was trying to complete. It is a real sad day. Well, I guess Dariush got Oliveira, didn't he? So. Mm-hmm. He 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 will be especially he'll be that extra bit disappointed when he beats Oliveira and then still gets passed up for a title shot. Rafael <laughs> Yeah, Darius just can't just can't <laughs> get to that damn title shot. He's so clearly the most deserving contender, but I think that's probably why he started graying so early. <laughs> it's just the the frustration. Could be. All right. We'll come out next time and look like Steve Martin. Just, I think he looks good with the gray, to be honest. I think he can rock yeah. it. It Absolutely. makes his uh, complete lack of an ass a little more, uh, <laughs> makes it look more appropriate to like old men don't have asses. That's right. That's right. He should go completely gray, start wearing like high waters hiked up to his belly button, mm-hmm. tucking his t shirt into his pants with a belt. Yeah. And the gray hair will look, he'll, he, he will look even more like a sort of like, uh, a librarian. He sort of already looks like a, like a college professor or something. Let's see. Anyway, Gagey is currently. Oh, Gagey opened at plus two thirty five. Is currently at plus one eighty seven. Fiziev opened at minus two seventy five. Currently at minus two thirty two. Yeah, those odds should be close. I mean, you can't just fade Justin Gagey here. I still feel like Fiziev is not. Yeah. It's a test for sure. Yeah, face this kind of dynamic power, like all all levels dynamic power. Yep. Uh, and Gagey, you know, Fiziev is not not Charles Oliver, and he's not Khabib. Yeah, even when it's an impressive win that feels like a a sort of um, a referendum on Gagey's new approach, mm-hmm. the fights are never easy. No. Nobody walks over Justin Gaethje without paying for the effort. Yeah. 
Just a little reminder that you can support the MMA Vivisection, the MMA Depressed Us, and the sixth round post-fight show simply by going to patreon.com slash MMA Vivisection. With three different tiers ranging from $3 to $7, it's incredibly easy to show support to your favorite analysts, Zane, Connor, Eddie, and Phil. So if you have a few dollars to spare, please consider us. Thank you so much. That brings us to a welterweight bout. Gunnar Nelson, Brian Barbarena, and... um. Yeah, I mean, if you want to be terse at some point, mm-hmm. if you you want to try to reclaim that, uh, this would be the time. Yeah, what was this supposed to be again? Nelson versus... Daniel Rodriguez. D-Rod. Yeah, that would have been cool. Yeah. Um, I mean, I don't know that this is like... Um, I think it's, it's it comes down to Gunnar Nelson's uh, speed and the wrestling and his grappling that is going to... Re- like, that. that's like the ace up his sleeve, I think. It's, I mean... Wow, yeah, really. Oh, you, he, you, but you, you know, like as long as Gunnar Nelson is doing his Gunnar Nelson thing on the feet. Yeah. No, I know. That is always stand up Gunnar Nelson to contest yeah. with. Brian Barbarina is like a not a bad counter puncher. He's a reliable mm-hmm. combination puncher. He's got reach and he hits harder, I think, than most people realize before they get hit by him. Yeah. Um there's always, always room for Gunnar Nelson to get shocked standing. Yeah, there's a little bit of Rick Story to Brian Barberena is what I'm saying. Yeah. Um, except he doesn't have Rick Story's wrestling. Yeah. And so yeah. that is the big way for if Gunnar Nelson can't out-wrestle you, he's going to maybe knock you out, but very likely just sort of flap around not doing enough and getting hit a ton because he's a very poor defensive fighter. Yeah. Um, despite, Gunnar Nelson you know, is, if ever there had needed to be a uh, come to Jesus moment with SBG Ireland and their inability to train fighters, Gunnar Nelson should be it. Like, if you want to, you know, we talk about how you should be able to, you can judge a camp by what they do with their worst talent. Mm hmm. You can also judge the camp by how bad, how poor results they get out of their best talent. Yes. If you get an athlete like Gunnar Nelson for like a decade. An athlete and a skill set specialist like Gunnar Nelson. A, like, yeah, for like a decade. And it's just the same guy the whole way through. Right. That is, that is not reflect well on you. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I guess to be fair, not that they warrant it, but Gunnar Nelson is not just an SBG Ireland fighter. I think he he keeps his own camp as well. In, in yeah, Ireland. sure, but what nobody that nobody nobody cares about like you yeah. know, there's no I nobody's talking up his Iceland gym. Yeah, yeah, as a center of like great martial arts. Uh huh. You know. Yeah. So, but it's it's the wrestling. I mean, Gunnar Nelson is not a super deep wrestler, but he's got a very quick shot. He mm-hmm. will mix that up with his punch entries, um, in a very like early days GSP kind of way. Mm-hmm. Which which blitzing attack is this going to be? And it is probably Brian Barberino's most glaring weakness is that he's. He's he's a he's a solid scrambler. Like it's difficult for people to bank a lot of control on him. Usually, I don't think it'll be as much of a problem for Nelson. He's a great yeah. control grappler, 
but um he's just like he needs to plant his feet and he's kind of slow footed he's very slow footed in fact yeah so he when he just gets caught off guard by a takedown he just like can't adjust in time to stop it yeah and one of the things i mean the, the big thing to note for me here really is just rda had zero trouble barbarina even swarmed and clinched up with him yeah at, and shot in on him mm-hmm. uh you know Bar- barbarina is he is also not immune to just if he gets to pressure or if he gets open space he will walk himself into the clinch yeah but the big thing is rda had no trouble at all getting in on a high body lock yep to a trip takedown yeah, Nelson, when he can't get the shot, that's what he likes to do. Yeah, even Double like, underhooks. He shoots in, and Barbarina manages to get his hips back. He will slide immediately up to that and hit the trip. Yeah, double unders, and, inside, outside trip. Yeah, and it was so easy for RDA to get that and just mm-hmm. absolutely control Barbarina. RDA so. converted four takedowns, Matt Brown five, Darian Weeks four, Jason Witt eight. Yeah. Uh, Anthony Ivy hit five takedowns on him. I mean, yeah, it's it's just not a problem that's going to be solved against Gunnar Nelson. Yep. And again, like Colby Covington hit twelve. Gunnar Nelson is a fighter who doesn't necessarily have to hit twelve. He hits no. one. It's it's likely a round. Yeah. In his in his uh, in his favor. Nelson opened at minus three hundred. He's currently at minus three ninety one. Barbarina opened at plus 250. He's currently up at plus 297. That brings us to a woman flyweight bout. Jennifer Maya, Casey O'Neill. And, um... Bumped up to the main card. I think maybe after they... After Wood After they lost Wood. Uh, yeah, I think yeah. that's what it replaced. I'm, I'm okay with that, honestly. I, I've, yeah. I've actually really liked what I've seen out of Jennifer Maya in her last few fights. Yeah. I, th- yeah, I think is taking steps to become a more assertive and a more complete boxer. Yeah, and since that's the only part of her game that uh, yeah, she really leans on. Yeah, well, she's got her wrestling as well, but like with her strength and sort of overall solidity as a fighter, she's she's definitely a fighter. It's very difficult to like to take over against, to look really good against. She's just she keeps her feet under her. She's always ready to fire back with straight punches. She throws a lot of straight punches in general. Mm-hmm. Um, just adding like more combinations and more aggression. She's been like nailing people with her left hook in her last two fights. She's been coming full, coming forward a lot more and actually, yeah, like throwing three punch combinations. Mm-hmm. It's a, it's a good look for her. It's a small adjustment that I think has made a big difference. Yeah, and uh, should make this a really hard fight on Casey O'Neill. Yeah. Who has thus far been running shop pretty much purely through aggression and yeah. size. You know, like I don't even know that it's athleticism. Certainly on the ground, she puts her her size to good use really quickly. Yep. Um, but... You know, it, it kind of says a lot that she didn't, you know, she didn't really hoss Roxanne Modafferi around at all. Yeah, it was being faster was a big thing, but yeah, she's she's certainly going to be bigger and taller than Maya, but Maya is uh, 
is sturdy. Yeah. And clearly very strong. Yeah. I mean, she, the most notable thing about her fight with Valentina and the thing that made it so close was just that she could clinch up with a very strong fighter in Valentina and hold her own. Yeah. And, uh, her, uh, O'Neill's fight against, uh, Antonina Shevchenko involved getting taken down herself. Yep. Like she ended up getting some good shots and turning the tide in that, but she didn't have a, a clear physical advantage over the much less physical yeah. Shevchenko sister. Yeah. One thing I'm curious to see is um, if uh, if Maya has enough faith in her defensive wrestling, which has always been pretty solid, Yeah. to um, to not have her like newfound aggressive output diminished by the fact that O'Neill is really going to want to get her down. Yeah, I, I would have. Well, yeah, that's interesting. If it puts her back to her old ways when she has to yeah. keep, an, keep an eye on the takedown threats. The big thing that I think that will help her a lot here, and uh, I remember talking to uh, Modafferi after her fight with Maya and feeling like really, like I wish somebody had told you this during camp. Oh no, um, was just. Uh, Maya is nearly impossible to take down off the cage. Yeah. If she, if she is on the cage, you are not going to get her down. Mm-hmm. It was actually Roxanne Modafferi shot in open space in their first fight and got that takedown pretty easily. Yeah. She's not um, very, like Barbarina, she's not super quick on her feet. Yeah. And Casey O'Neill has a, she can have a good shot at times. Mm-hmm. But almost every shot she completes involves driving her opponent to the cage first. Yeah, which is where Maya seems to have that just uh, low center of gravity taking yeah. offense, which is why I'm not as concerned with the the height disparity here. Yeah, it's just a point where she has she's been she's difficult enough to take down that Valentina Shevchenko threw her on top of herself, like you yeah. know. She tried to take her down off the cage and just dr- ended up dragging her on top of her because yep. it's really hard to shift her there. You're just a heavy fighter. Yep. So, yeah. For O'Neal, I got to pick Maya here. This is a big jump up from Mataferi and Antonina Shevchenko. Just in terms of fighters, what they leave defensively. Mm-hmm. And O'Neal is very much a fighter who has been winning through the defensive openings that she forces through being wild. Mm-hmm. You know, she's just going out there and being like, okay, I'm just going to throw three punches and I'm going to walk you down. And if you don't block those punches or if you get wild and you try to like rush me or whatever, then I can take you down. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, you know, very hittable very awkward footwork's bad defense is bad takedowns are low drive um it's all about what you let her what you leave that she can force open so yeah i just don't think maya leaves enough open that's that's always been her thing even when she's had bad fights even when she has a fight with men on Fiero or Caitlin Chukagian where you're just like, I know you're never going to win this fight. Yep. It's because she doesn't take enough chances. It's not because yep. she is defensively wide open to be bullied. 
Yeah. Like I said, very difficult to just run over and look super good against Jennifer Maya. Yeah. I'd be very interested to see if she does win this uh, rematch with Chukagian. Like, I think she's made the right adjustments. She could be a lot more competitive now. I mean, it it was already competitive. She was already competitive. But if I'm Caitlin Chukagian, I would be like, absolutely never. I Why would I do that? But twice, I am <laughs> yeah. not fighting her a third time yeah. just to give her a chance to beat me. Yeah, fair enough. Would be like the Alexis Davis thing where they mm-hmm. uh, they let her fight. Um, oh God, what's her name? Former Strike Force champ, Sarah Kaufman. Oh yes. Where like, you know, was. Uh, Kaufman, was it Kaufman won? I think it was Sarah Kaufman who won. Or it'd be like uh, Bendo Cerrone. Yeah. Even though I to this day think that the third fight decision was a, truly a bad one. I thought Ben Henderson pretty clearly won that third fight as well. But, but yeah, like Sarah Kaufman beat uh, Alexis Davis twice already. And, you know, f- over a span of 10 years. Yeah, and then they have her. They they fight again, and she gets armbarred, and it's just Kaufman like, just waited her out <laughs> till it was winnable. No, no, it was the other way. Kaufman oh, right, right, right. Davis twice, and then Davis just waited her out until right, right, right. It was winnable. And Clearly, like, I do not remember this legendary series. No, it's just, but it's just one of the things. It's like, oh, if you're Sarah Kaufman, like, yeah, why take that? Why, why, if you're any fighter, and you've got your two up on somebody, just don't. Just don't. That is not the time to be generous. This is not a generous career. Yeah. Anyway, we're way off topic. Uh, Jennifer Maya, I think it's. You know, Casey O'Neill is still an interesting prospect. She's big. She's aggressive. She has a ground game that can be smothering and dominant in that aggression. You know, like she, I think she, she started with the kind of gra- grappling game that Mataferi ended up with late in her career, mm-hmm. where it was just like, oh, if, if she gets on top of you, she will just start punishing you immediately. And she's got more power and more natural snap and physicality to her. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, the rest of the tools to get there still need a lot of work. And unfortunately it's a division where we're rapidly seeing people like Kyla Santos and men on Fierro uh, make runs where it's like, okay, no, they're really like physical, tough to control athletes on the run for this division. So it could be tough. And Maya might just be, you know, the archetype of that, the the predecessor of like, no, this is also actually just a really a t- much tougher person to control than it seems like. For, very much a fighter who can who can fall to the classic low powered volume uh, fighters at 125, but is actually harder to just toss around than. You then then you would expect for the fighters rising up that are really physical and making that the the center point of their game. Mm. What we're witnessing right now, by the way, is the famously terse Zane Simon. Yeah, yeah, no, I think we've covered it. I think you know. Let's go to the middleweights. I figured if you're going to be terse, I get to open up. (laughs) Usually, I'm usually I'm stopping you. You never ramble on. 
Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Casey O'Neill opened at minus 155, dropped to minus 170. He's currently minus 178. Maya opened at plus 135, jumped up to plus 154, and is currently plus 147. Um, yeah, I think that should be reversed. Yeah, I, I agree. Maya is a... I know she doesn't win all the time. She's clearly the gatekeeper but, in this matchup and a more proven fighter than O'Neill. Yeah, but you really got to look at the fact that everybody she's lost to in the last yeah. eight years has been a title challenger. Yeah, those have got to be some local favoritism betting odds. Yeah, well, and I think it's just the hype of like, okay, you know, Casey O'Neill's undefeated. She looks like a, a good big prospect, bank on the prospect. But I think this is a... Too much too soon for her. All right. Agreed. That brings us to a middleweight bout. Marvin Vittori, Roman Delidzi. And um, finally a chance to talk about chess. Yeah, finally a chance to talk about chess. Roman Delidze loves. That's right. Um, your, new, your new favorite fighter. Hey, you know, I've had no choice but to warm to him. You, yeah. he, he may have an incredibly hateable face, but he's kind of an interesting enigmatic personality, isn't he? He really is. Um, and I still don't really like his fighting style. No, and, no, that sucks. <laughs> it's, it sort of sucks. So cool, cool things happen in a lot of Roman Delizze fights, but that's the problem is they sort of just happen. Yeah. This isn't a fighter who, uh, who's, who exactly screams like process. <laughs> Imagine, I think it, the, the way I can, I I'm picturing it is imagine if Yoel Romero, a was a hair less athletic or a significant hair less athletic, but had significantly also, hairier as well. Significantly hairier, but had never wrestled or boxed ever. Just yeah, never took any of the time to train to be an Olympian. Never spent any of his time sparring with like Cuban, the Cuban Olympic boxing team. Yeah, but still had that same mentality of like, oh, I'm a great athlete, and I'll just watch and like do something ridiculous at some point yeah i wonder if i can guess what opening Stilidze plays based on his fighting style <laughs> he's an he's an english opening guy 100 percent. something a little offbeat yeah you know isn't fighting for the center right from the jump the way that you normally do like yeah he's not a very classical chess player could be my guess carocon yeah. he's a carocon guy ah uh, french defense Classic. Got it nailed. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I, I think um, Vittori is simply too meatheaded to lose to Delizzi. Yeah, yeah. D- Vittori, it's a lot like the last fight. I mean, Vittori yeah. is a roundly solid fighter. You don't submit him. You don't yeah. knock him out. You yep. just have to deal with him. Yeah, all basically, time. like, yeah, he's 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 too dumb to get cowed by any of the guys who rely on like freaking their opponent out or making them make critical errors. And he's also too dumb to beat the smart fighters like Robert Whitaker and Israel Adesanya. Yeah. But that puts him very firmly in the, uh, in the like elite gatekeeper position in this division where I I don't think the has a, a game that allows him to break down, actively break down and pick apart a fighter like Vittori, who's just going to be there, able to take shots, able to stop takedowns, able to hit takedowns if he wants to. Um, better defensively, too, than he used yeah. to be. And otherwise, just pumping out a very steady diet of one-twos. 
it it really you know MMA math is not uh, you know I majored in it in college and I'm stuck doing this is all I'm gonna say. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not a functional career choice, but it does mean a lot that Jack Hermanson was absolutely mopping the floor with Roman Delizzi. Yep. For almost every minute of their fight. Collapsed in a very Jack Hermanson way. Collapsed in a very Jack Hermanson way. Uh, and could absolutely not at any point take a moment of momentum away from Marvin Vittori, even in a fight where he was competitive all the way through. Right. He just had to, he, he could not, you know, he, he had to deal with Vittori's pace and durability the whole time. Yep. And lost. It's not a a crazy lightning pace. It's not he's not Marab Duwalish really. Um, but it's a perfectly healthy output. It's very stable. And yeah, that's the thing with Vittori. Like Jennifer Maya, like you just have to deal with him the whole time. Yeah. These are not fighters that are gonna break down and leave you something obvious to do. You have to be able to craft something yes. that will pull apart their game. Yeah, he certainly does not collapse. Uh, even when he is being outsmarted, he's still there being Marvin Vittori. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm, I'm taking Vittori for just his sheer blockheaded consistency. If Marvin Vittori collapsed every time he was outsmarted, he'd never make it out of bed. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. The alarm would ring. He's hitting like just mashing the buttons and the alarms still going off. Chewing on the alarm clock. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. He makes it through somehow. Yep. He smashes that clock and buys another every <laughs> single day. And he gets ripped off at the store. Yeah. Because they've convinced him that it's, an alarm clock is $80. <laughs> or 80 euros, I guess. And he pays it every single day. At this point, it's just like... A, a block of wood with like a picture of an alarm clock taped to it <laughs> doesn't even go off anymore. <laughs> he doesn't even realize he doesn't need it. He wakes up yeah. very reliably at 6 a.m. every single day. And then smashes. The <laughs> but he's mad and he blames the alarm clock. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds about right. <laughs> it's just a, it's a can of tomatoes. Yeah. With an alarm clock uh, fronting face uh, tape to it, and he just <laughs> crushes it with his hands. Uh, anyway. We joke, but it's true. <laughs> yeah, it's very <laughs> true. Marmatori is a lovably dense man. Yes. Uh, he is He is Paulo Costa without the gimmick. Yeah. Like, and was super credible against Paulo Costa. Yeah. The guy who breaks a lot of people. I think he kind of broke Costa at certain points of the fight just because he's like, what do I do? Like, yeah. He just doesn't care. No. Yeah, I love him. Vittori opened at minus 275. He's currently minus 297. Delidzi opened at plus 235. Is currently at plus 247. 
All right, that wraps up the main card. You can find me on Twitter at Zane Simon. You can find Connor on Twitter at Boxing Bush. You can find both of us over at BloodyOva.com. Give us a like, subscribe to our podcast on Bloody Over Presents on SoundCloud, YouTube, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, all those good places. And as always, the uh, Viv section is brought to you by Chris Reaney and his book, The Fine Art of Violence, which you can find over at ChrisReaney.com, C-H-R-I-S-R-I-N-I.com. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in, and we'll see you next time. Just a little reminder that you can support the MMA Vivid section, the MMA Depressed Us, and the sixth round post-fight show simply by going to patreon.com slash MMA section. With three different tiers ranging from $3 to $7, it's incredibly easy to show support to your favorite analysts, Zane, Connor, Eddie, and Phil. So if you have a few dollars to spare, please consider us. Thank you so much. Is editorial writing. And um, doing editorial writing, there's always a question of, is there a squeeze on you? What are you going to say? You know, do, do we have, you know, financial backers who are also in bed with the UFC or Bellator, you can't say this, you can't mm-hmm. say that. And that's something that I always love about Bloody Elbow is that, you know, it, like, like for me, Bloody Elbow is like the only remaining blog. And that sounds like a diss to a lot of people, especially in a journalistic sense, but I mean it in the best way possible. Because I know for a fact that almost every person who makes a decision in this sport, whether it's someone from the UFC, from Bellator, from one championship, Ryzen, people who work for athletic commissions, they read Bloody Elbow every day. Every fucking day. And for me, it feels kind of like the last bastion where people can... I, I don't think it's the only good source of MMA editorial writing, but it feels like, for me, the last bastion of MMA editorial writing where people can just be honest. Thank you for tuning in to this Bloody Elbow Presents production. To check out more of our content, subscribe to our YouTube channel, which is titled Bloody Elbow Presents. We're also on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn, Overcast, Player FM, and Amazon Music. Just search for Bloody Elbow Presents and you'll get brand new shows throughout the week, including Care Don't Care, the Level Change Podcast, the MMA Bivis Section, the 6th Round Post-Fight Show, 6th Round Retro, The MMA Depressed Us, Crooklyn's Corner, Exclusive Fighter Interviews, Show Money, Guest Podcasts, The Hey Not The Face Podcast, and be sure to follow us on Twitter at Bloody Elbow, Facebook at Facebook.com slash Bloody Elbow Blog, and as always, on BloodyElbow.com.
Thank you all for your ongoing support in our journey to take Bloody Elbow independent. Please subscribe today to bloodyelbow.substack.com. With your support, we can continue to provide you with your best source of MMA content 24-7-365. Thanks so much for listening.